Welcome to Creating a Buzz About Health podcast with Paula Carnell. Hello, hello, hello. I'm so excited because it's May and this is the time of year for the bees. We have bees swarming, we have bees collecting nectar, the colonies are growing, the queens are being mated, the drones are flying. It's a really, really exciting time of year particularly if you're a beekeeper. We've also got all sorts of things coming into bloom across the gardens and we can breathe a sigh of relief that the bees have got through the winter and we're looking forward to a lovely season and hopefully we will have some honey to spare and hopefully all our bees will thrive. It seems therefore appropriate to be celebrating World Bee Day. And World Bee Day is the 20th of May, and it's dated the 20th of May or celebrated on this day because it was set up by some Slovenians and they wanted to honour the first recognised beekeeping teacher. And he was Anton Janza, and he was from Slovenia or modern day Slovenia, um, Carniolan area, and he was also an artist, so I'm particularly interested in anything that relates arts and bees. And I'm finding it fascinating that the more I find out about bees and famous beekeepers, the more there is that connection between artists and bees. And perhaps the beekeepers that made a mark or made a difference have that artistic background, which encourages you to think outside the box, be it a beehive box or any other box. There's something about being an artist that you have a different perception of the world or you're to actually be an artist. You have to observe. You have to learn how to observe. So there is a connection with any industry. If you're an artist or you've got that artistic nature, that when you come into um, into your industry, you can see it from other perspectives. You can stand back and observe as an artist would do. So he was born in the early 1700s and he died in 1774 and he was just very inspirational. He he wanted more and more people to understand about what we could learn from bees and so he was teaching his skills and much of what he taught, much of the beekeeping skills um, that he passed on are very similar to natural beekeeping and naturopathic beekeeping. It really was working with the bees, working in alignment with nature and really embracing what the bees already know. So he was very um, inspired and had a great deal of respect for the bees. He wasn't just um, harvesting as much honey as he could. He was really learning from the bees and working with them and wanted other people to get that feeling that you get when you're working with bees. Um, and it really is working with them. You're not working on them or at them. Um, you are working with the bees. So what can we all do on World Bee Day or what are we celebrating? So it's a a way of getting people who perhaps aren't beekeepers or weren't aware of bees to start looking at bees or even looking for bees and becoming more conscious about the impact that human behavior is having on bees. And this is really, really relevant, relevant now as we are seeing such huge declines. I was looking at the, um, the UN have a page about World Bee Day because they acknowledge it as an official day. And 
they are saying that bees and all the other pollinators, you know, like butterflies and bats and hummingbirds, they're also increasingly under threat from human activities. So it is our impact on the environment. We are um, living outside of nature instead of part of it. So we really need the pollinators. We all know that. We need the bees. We need the birds. We need all the all the different insects, beetles, you know, wasps, all of them. We need them to pollinate our food. And bees are what you'd call an indicator species. Because we take honey from honeybees, we observe them. We can see whether they're thriving or declining. And the emphasis can tend to be, therefore, all on the honeybees and not on all the other pollinators. So World Bee Day is an opportunity to look at what the honeybees are teaching us about all the other species. And how can we change our behaviour or adapt our behaviour to really support bees and the other species? So I normally have three top things that I say to, to really help save the bees. And the first one is to buy, eat, grow chemical free food. If we do that, we change agriculture. The more demand there is on chemical free food, the more um, ag the agricultural systems are likely to change. It's very much powered by money. And if people insist on buying cheap food, then all the development and research will go into how to produce food cheaper. If we start demanding quality food, then the research will go into improving quality food. So this is what we really have to be doing. That's the number one thing. It's not get a beehive. It is buy, eat, grow chemical free food. The second thing is to plant more flowers. If you actually have more wild areas, native plants, if you let your lawn flower, if you do the no mow may, um, if you have trees and hedgerows, let them blossom. That's going to provide more food for bees. We know that here in the UK, we've lost 97% of our wildflower meadows in the last 70 years. And wildflower meadows were crucial for feeding all the pollinators, as well as providing a good nesting spot. So no mo may gives, it's not just about having flowering grasses or, or long grass. It's about providing the habitat for certain bees to nest in. Um, you know, the, the queens of the solitary bees and the bumblebees or the, the queens of the bumblebees, they'll be emerging. And then the females and the males of the solitary bees will also be emerging and they often nest in the ground. And they'll only have a few weeks of activity where they're mating, they're going off pollinating whatever their specific um plant is that they're associated with. They'll be laying the eggs, bringing back the nectar and pollen, and then those colonies grow. So with the solitary bees, once they've mated and laid the eggs and provided each egg with a bit of nectar and pollen, they seal them up in little cocoons and then the adults die. So if they have a period of time where they can actually do this and go back into the soil, anything else we do on the land doesn't affect them. So it's not just about having long grass and maybe letting daisies flower or, or more dandelions. That is part of it, but also it's leaving the soil at this really active time of year. The bumblebees, the queens will be emerging now and they'll be looking for a site where they can start making their little wax cups and laying the eggs and, and giving each egg nectar and pollen. But those colonies will actually grow up to between 50 and 200 bees through the summer months. And so they need 
places in the soil. And quite often, um, bumblebee species will nest in tufty grass, you know, banks, the roots of trees. So, you know, it's allowing that kind of habitat. So it's planting flowers and, and maintaining habitat. The third thing related to the first one, really, is just stop using fungicides and um, insecticides and pesticides in your garden, in your environment. It's becoming more mindful of the consequences of putting anything that isn't natural into our environment, whether it's into our water systems, into our soil. It's all got to go somewhere. And they don't break down as effectively as perhaps we might be imagining or hoping. So those are the three things. And whether you're a beekeeper or not, that's what you can do. And then if you want to carry on, then the um, I've got this great list that the UN have shared about what they think people can do more. So again, they agree. Let me just see how many points we've got. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine points and then three points for beekeepers and three points for governments and decision makers. So I'll read them. So how can we do more to save the bees or protect the bees individually? So first of all, planting a diverse set of native plants which flower at different times of the year. So that's good. Wildflower meadow. Perfect. Number two, buying raw honey from local farmers. This is really good because then you're supporting the beekeepers. The beekeepers cannot compete with the big supermarkets. And we know that the beekeepers are producing proper honey. Honey is the second most adulterated food. So the cheaper the product, the more likely it is that it's been adulterated and isn't real honey. So to make sure you are buying real honey, buy it from the beekeepers or buy it from a really trusted source. Um, the next thing they say is buying products from sustainable agricultural practices. So, yeah, looking at sustainable agriculture, regenerative agriculture. So if you're buying your food, think about where it's coming from. Then they say avoiding pesticides, fungicides or herbicides in our gardens. Brilliant. Um, next, protecting wild bee colonies while, when possible. So if you know that you've got some wild bees, some native bees, solitary bees or bumblebees living in your environment, then just try and protect that area. Don't mow that bit of lawn for a while or don't strim those tufty bits of grass. And if you know that you've got wild honeybees living in a tree, then just protect them. Make sure nobody's going to be trying to destroy them. Or, or if you have wild bees living in a building, just try and protect them. Don't just get a pest controller in to kill them. Um, it says here sponsoring a hive. There are quite a lot of beekeepers who offer sponsorship deals so that you can support the beekeeper but you also have a connection with that hive it costs a lot of money to to be a beekeeper you know for all the equipment that you need and the time and the responsibility so sponsoring a hive is a really good way of helping um helping bees and helping beekeepers after all the beekeepers know what they're doing so rather than you starting from scratch and just trying to learn from zero you might as well support somebody who's already established and know and has all the kit um, making a bee water fountain by leaving a water bowl outside. Bees do need water. And when we're having hot, long summers, then it's difficult for them to drink. Now, moss is really good in your lawn because it holds on to moisture. And I often see bees in our lawn where we've got moss just sort of sucking the droplets of water that the moss retains. And moss appears in a land to actually make the land more spongy and to hold more water. So as we get warmer um, seasons, 
we do need to look at what are we doing to retain the moisture in our soils. If you do do a bowl of water to feed, you know, to give the bees water, then put some pebbles in or marbles. So the bees have got something to stand on. They can't swim. Um, there are studies that show that bees will flap their wings and get across a, a water level if they need to. But if you have a lot of bees and it's really hot and they just want to drink, just make it a bit easier for them. Something that they can stand on or sit on and just drink the water and then fly away again easily. Um, the next thing you can do is helping sustaining forest ecosystems. Now, we need forests all around the world. And what happens with the forests in one part of the world affects the weather on another part of the world. So another way of supporting forest ecosystems is for a start, just try and maintain all your local ones, but really become more engaged in supporting forest ecosystems further afield. So for instance, Nicte honey, they support the dry forests in the Yucatan in Mexico. So by buying their honey from their beekeepers in the Yucatan, you're actually supporting the forests. The same as Madagascar. If you buy Madagascan honeys, the beekeepers there defend their trees with rifles because they know how important trees are for feeding bees. Honeybees need at least an acre of flowering plants. An ancient tree can have the equivalent of five acres of flowering plants. So trees are really, really vital, as are our forests. Then they say raising awareness around us by sharing this information within the communities and networks, the decline of bees affects us all. That's absolutely true. The bees are in the same environment as us. If we lose the bees, it's our environment that's killing them. And what's that doing to us? Then the UN says, as beekeepers or farmers, we can three things, reduce or changing the usage of pesticides, um, diversifying crops as much as possible and or planting attractive crops around the field and creating hedgerows. Brilliant. As governments and decision makers, this is where, again, we can all help support our governments and decision makers with the following three things. Strengthening the participation of local communities in decision-making, in particular that of indigenous people who know and respect ecosystems and biodiversity. Wonderful. Enforcing strategic measures, including monetary incentives to help change. Increasing collaboration between national and international organizations. Organizations and academic and research networks to monitor and evaluate pollination services. So Appamondia, which is a big global conference um, every two years, which brings together many, many of the world scientists on bees. And that is a fantastic resource where um, scientists and beekeepers can all come together and actually share the latest experiences and knowledge and research. But all these things take funding and we need the governments to be more active with actually supporting these kind of events. It's so important that we all talk globally. So World Bee Day is that. It is a global bee day all around the world on May the 20th. And throughout May, beekeepers, bee lovers, governments, um, landowners, farmers, we're all celebrating the bees. So I'd love to know, what are you doing to celebrate World Bee Day? What have you done to celebrate World Bee Day in previous years? Or what do you plan to do in future years? Let's all come together, really honour the bees and be grateful for what they've done for us and start doing whatever we can to make their life a little bit easier. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed it, I'd love it if you would share it, please. 
And also it really helps if you can subscribe to my channel, whichever um, platform you're using to listen to it or watch it, just click the subscribe button. It really helps. The more subscribers we have, the more reach the podcast get, and therefore more people get to hear all this wonderful information about bees and health. So thank you very much. And until next time, carry on creating a buzz about health. This podcast has been produced and edited by the wonderful B. Brooke, and the music was created especially for me by Raya. Thank you very much. You have to become yourself. Join us Open next time on Creating a Buzz Open About Health heart. podcast with Paula Carnell. Buzz you later.